Before we even begin today, I'm just going to ask you guys a series of questions. The question that comes to my mind first is this. Are you even a Christian? Thanks, Jan. <laughs> are you a Christian? Maybe you're here. It's an 11 a.m. service. Somebody said, I'm going to take you to breakfast. And like, oh, i got to stop at this warehouse real quick and grab something. You know, whatever. You got snuck in here, drug in here. Maybe they drugged you and snuck you in here. I don't know how you got here. But I'm asking you that question. Are you a Christian? It's a pretty important question because if you can answer it, and you can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, it settles everything in your life. It settles the way you process what's going on. It settles the way you look at your past. It settles the way you look at your future. It gives you peace and joy. It gives you that anchor and that firm foundation for your soul. It tells you it's all going to be right. If you're a Christian here, man, you're at the 11 a.m. service. I'm pretty sure you're all Christians. If you're not, I'm going to ask you to become one at the end of the service. Okay, just get ready. And if you're a Christian, though, you know what's going on. Second question is this. If you're a Christian, do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you, want to, do you want to grow? Do you want to become different? Do you want to change? Do you want to keep reading to an end? The Bible, that is. See, reading the Bible is not the end, okay? It's a means to an end. When you read the Bible, it's in order that you would see what it says. You see the menu of God, you see the instruction of God, and then you would adjust every single time. It's like a mirror. When you look in the mirror, you immediately adjust something, okay? You fix it, you, 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 know, you pray for it, you put your tooth back in, you do something when you see that mirror, you know? And the Bible says of itself, it's a mirror. You read it, you're like, oh, oh, and you start to adjust your life. Next time you don't like what you see in the mirror at your house, try and fix the mirror, okay? Just try that. Be like, oh, I'm going to have to spray paint this sucker, you know? It ain't working. I'm going to get there. How come you don't have any mirrors in your house? They were all broken. You know what I'm saying? No, no. You adjust to what you see. First question, are you Christian? Because if you are, you know what's going on. Second question, do you want to grow as a question? Third question is this, are you actually willing to do the work that God gives to you to do to become what he wants you to be? A couple months ago, I signed up for pastoral coaching with Dave Kraft, a well-known ministry leader, a book author. I've read all his books. I just enjoy him. And, and he avails himself to pastors like me that would need coaching and enjoy kind of that fellowship from afar. He's not from here. And so it was a phone kind of thing. And our first two-hour phone call, I started to get real quiet and started to listen. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I started to realize after two hours, here's, I'm going to embarrass myself right now. I realized after two hours of coaching that, that in, or, in order to actually see a change in my life, I wasn't just hiring him to tell me I was doing a great job. I kind of just thought that was it. Like he's going to say, you're doing a great job. Just keep doing a great job and then you'll do a great job. I thought that's what it was going to be. Instead, we began to identify one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a number of things that I got to do differently that I got to do better. I got to stop this. I got to start. I got to, I got to actually do some, some work. And I began to just kind of be like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> I kind of want change, but I'm not really sure if I am ready for that. And yet, how many of you guys want change in your life right now? How many of you guys want a difference? You want to have a different marriage. You want to have a different singleness, a different ministry, a different empathy, a different passion for the Lord. And yet you don't want to do anything different at all. This is how it is in all aspects of our lives, whether it's finances or whether it's fitness or whether it's relationships or whether it's academics. I want to be smarter. I want to have more money. I want to have more friends, and I want to be more fit. Well, how are you going to do that? I don't know. I was thinking about going on Netflix. <laughs> that ain't going to do it. Well, it was just as soon as I'm done with Facebook, I'm going to get after something, you know. After Facebook, I'm going to go Netflix. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not going to, you got to do different things academically and fitnessly, fitnessly and physically and financially and academically. Maybe I should read a book and you got to, and I'm just telling you guys, the Bible says that the Lord scans your hearts and I'm so glad he does. Right now we're in Revelation chapter two. It's taken us seven weeks to get through chapter one. And then chapter two begins the second part of the book of Revelation. And it's the letters to the seven churches. 
And each church has God's heart connected to it. And each church is on God's radar. Blip, blip, blip. As it's going around and God is scanning and he sees what's going on. And so he has a letter to each church and they're all kind of organized in similar fashion. He gives them some commendations. He says, you're doing a good job. I see this. Good job, good job. And then he gives them some corrections. And then he gives them some cautions. And then at the end of every single of the seven churches, he says, to him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. It's an opportunity for you and I to press in, to go deeper. Right now, now's the time. We have an opportunity. Your opportunity will cease one day. There are billions of Christians who are now in heaven, the great cloud of witnesses watching you. You and I get to live with eyes of faith today. It's our, it's our turn. How long is your turn going to last? Anybody know? It's, oh, I don't know. I don't know. One of the pastors that was at the conference, Jason Santoni, he'll be here tonight at the service. He's the pastor of Ark Bible Church. He was at the conference with us on Monday and Tuesday. And, and on Wednesday, around 1 p.m., 1 p.m., he was sitting in his business there, Bow Wow, right on the Highway 101. Some of you guys saw this, in a car plowed through the window all the way into his business and was within inches of killing him and his wife. He didn't die, not a scratch on his body. They showed the picture, the, the car almost ran them over. And we were just at this conference saying, Lord, what do you want to do with our churches? And how do you want to go further? And hey, his race hasn't stopped yet. Praise God. Okay, God wants to search our hearts today. And so I'm going to say a prayer now because I don't think I've prayed yet. All that's introduction. And I'm going to ask God to bless us as we open up Revelation chapter 2. Father, in Jesus' name, now we humble ourselves before you. We ask God that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts open, minds ready in Jesus' name, and that we wouldn't be deceived hearing only, but we would be doers of the word. So Lord, bless my friends. I see a whole host of ministry leaders and students from Calvary Chapel Corvallis gathered with us. Bless them. Bless them, Lord. Fire them up. Lord, I see my friends here on the Oregon coast gathered. Bless them. Lord, the people watching online, praying for you right now, bless them. Lord, for my friend Jason Santoni and his wife, Lord, bless them and the rest of the ministry leaders that gathered this last week, bless them. Here we are, Lord, we're the church. And we ask, God, that you'd be honored in this time as we read your word, as we expound upon it, Lord. I surrender myself to you, Lord. Use me to the end, Lord, that you deem fit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it to you. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. That word angel can be interpreted messenger or angel. We'll talk about that in a minute. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Jesus goes on, verse two. I know your works, your labor, and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered. And you have patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Can you imagine being at church that Sunday morning when the angel of Ephesus, the messenger, I believe it's the pastor, came to church. He said, guys, we got a letter from John that's from Jesus. And he went ahead and boop, scanned our church. And here's the readout. Here's what he says. I'm going to read it to you. And at this point, you're like, whoa, Jesus is proud of us. 
He's seen our labor, our work, and our patience, and that we've tested the apostles that say they're apostles and are not, and we've found them to be liars, and we've persevered, and we've been patient. We've not grown weary, and all of a sudden, all the ministry leaders are giving each other high fives, you know, and knuckles and chest bumps, you know, and everyone's getting fired up because they're doing a good job. That's what he says. Jesus says, man, I see it. This is crazy. You guys are organized well. Stop right there, eyes up here. These guys are in Ephesus. I don't know if that means anything to you, okay? This would be like modern-day L.A., okay? A big church, a Christian church in the middle of Los Angeles, okay? Or Tijuana or Philadelphia, a big city of that day. Ephesus was no joke, and it was overrun with worldly ways and paganism and Satanism and sexuality and prostitution and perversion. And they had planted themselves this church at Ephesus, and Jesus said, you guys are doing a good job. You guys are patient. You've endured. You've labored. You're not lazy. You're showing up, staying late, saying yes to everything. You guys are going to life groups. You're hosting life groups. You're doing stuff. Proud of you guys. And I see this and I hear this and I think that's how I want. Don't you want to go to a church like that? Finding a church is a tricky thing. Have you guys ever tried to find a good church before? Good luck. I'm just playing. It's a good church right here. I'm just kidding, you know. I tell people when they're leaving our church, because sometimes people move and sometimes people go elsewhere, and I say, here's the three things you need in church. Number one, make sure you're getting fed, okay, the Word of God. You need the Word of God. But make sure you're not just getting your ears tickled and your shoulders rubbed. Make sure you're also getting challenged, okay? You should be called up at least every Sunday. You should leave saying, man, I feel fed. I feel good. Kind of feel a little bad, too. You know, like I need to adjust some things. And then the third thing, not only fed, not only challenged, here's a good church, in my opinion, is that you actually have an impact. You matter. You're connected to at least two or three or more people, and your absence is noticed. When you stop showing up, when you stop serving, when you stop giving, everyone's like, wait, 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 wait where's that guy at? Where's that girl? Because you matter. Don't, don't go to a church that you fall through the cracks. And once you find that church, stay there and become a part of that church. And I tell people, you're moving, go find a church like that. It's easier said than done. You go look for a good church. Sometimes on the outside, it could be just banging hard. They got the graphics. They got the branding. They got the parking lot guys, you know, and it's all good. And you walk in, and something's wrong. You ever been to a church like that? They got everything. You're just like, and it could just be, you know, what you ate for breakfast. (laughs) Chances are, you know, somebody could have slipped you some decaf. It could be that the Lord just doesn't want you there. That's totally rad. That's totally rad. The Lord wants you somewhere. Okay, he really does. He wants you to plant, stick and stay, and make it pay somewhere. Not everyone goes to every church. That's awesome that way. And so you might not belong there, but there could be something deeper below the surface, something a little more offensive, a little more troubling. If you've been to a church that has everything on the outside like this church described, and yet we're going to get into verse 5 in just a minute, verse 4 and 5, where Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Even though you guys are you're successful, this church was over 30 years old, a 30-year-old church in, in the first century. The Apostle Paul had started this church. Matter of fact, in your notes, hopefully you're taking notes still, chapter 19 and chapter 20 of the book of Acts is your homework. Okay, read that later. Just write it down. And in the book of Acts, chapters 19 and 20, the Bible says Paul shows up to Ephesus, probably around the year 55, maybe 58 AD. This was written in 95 AD. Just do the math. And Paul shows up to Ephesus, and the Bible says that he finds 12 disciples of Jesus, and he begins to fellowship with them. And he's hanging out there having a barbecue, and at one point, Paul looks at him, he's like, are you guys even Christians? He asks him, are you guys filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you guys have the Holy Spirit? They're like, we never heard of her. He's like, no, it's not her, it's him. <laughs> they said, we never heard of him. What's it like? What's the... 
And Paul says, what do, you got? what do you guys have? Well, we got the baptism of John. He's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And he prays for him, lays hands on him. <laughs> They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized and begin to speak in tongues, 12 of them in number. And the Bible says that that's the beginning of the church at Ephesus, and they grow. Did you know that Paul wrote to Timothy when he was at Ephesus? Pastor Tim was at Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila were on staff at Ephesus. John the Revelator pastored at Ephesus. Paul started the church at Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is to the church at Ephesus. This was a legit church. They had things going on. And if you were to go to church that day, Jesus is at church that day. If you were to go to church, you'd be like, dude, you guys got programs for kids. You got programs for teens. You got programs for young adults. You got programs for singles. You got programs for adults. You got pro. Why? You guys are doing it. This is the kind of church I want to go to. I want to go to a church that has their roots down and fruits out, that is able to discern the things in the world and, and know that not everything's good. You guys realize that, right? You guys are Christian, okay? There's some, there's, there's still, it's funny, I'm sorry. There's still people in the world that just want to believe everything's okay. Like, it's all good. It's just all good, man. Just, it's all good. It's not all good. There's some stuff out there that'll mess you up. And the Bible tells us what it is. There's even some Christians that are so full of love, they just want to love everybody. Just love, 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 love. It's like, hey, man, make sure that that love got some truth in the middle of it. There's also some Christians out there that just have truth, truth, truth. You better make sure that truth has some bubble wrap around it called love. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all, too much truth, you know? It's like every verse is a bullet in your gospel gun. Like, I got a bullet for everything, you know? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> you know? Whoa. We've got to find that, that balance. The church needs to be full of truth and love. And so Jesus shows up to this church, and he says, you guys are full of truth, and you're persevering. You know what's right and wrong. You're doing it. Good job. Look with me. Verse 4. Nevertheless. That word nevertheless is an interesting word. You ever write it out? It's like three words in one. Nevertheless. Every time I write it, I actually think it's a fake word. It's like, this is a real word. Nevertheless, like who made up this word? It's a long word of three words. Anyways, that's just me. But it says, nevertheless, nevertheless. What that means is, is that this is good, this is good, this is good, that's good, this is great, this is good, this is good. Nevertheless, oh, what? Even, I, I, I'm not saying I don't see that stuff. I see you, I see you. But we got this other thing going on. And it's almost, I'm not going to say it does this, but it almost, it, I mean, really, maybe, time out. It almost nullifies, it almost nullifies everything that is. I, I, would, I would say it actually does nullify. It's just that, no, that's all good. But it's like having a vehicle that looks great. And then you pop the hood, yep, but there's no, en there's no engine. The engine's not in here. What are we going to do? He says this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. You left your first love. Now, a lot of commentators make a big deal out of the word left and the difference between left and lost. What if it said, I have this against you, you lost your first love? You ever lost something before? Usually when you lose something, you panic, okay? <laughs> you, know, la, 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 you know, and you do everything you can to find it. Okay? It's kind of, it's kind of a, the right reaction to losing something. When you leave something, though, there's more of a, a saddened acceptance of change. I'm just, I kind of left it through a series of steps. Maybe one big one, usually not. Usually it's just a series of 
just kind of dumb steps in my relationship of love. I've just, I've left it. And it's almost more offensive when you leave something. If you lose something, it's like, no shame. Hey, we all lose stuff every once in a while. Just, just make sure you like panic and find it. But when you leave, it actually denotes two things. Number one, that you actually, you willingly did it. You made some bad decisions. Okay, this could be in any relationship of love. You left your first love. It could be the way you treat your spouse, the way you raise your kids. This happens on any given day. Bloop, the radar. Bloop, well, how's my heart doing? Oh, dude, you're doing good. Your bills are paid. Okay, good job, husband. Good job, wife. Good job, professional. Yep, we got cars in the driveway. Kids are fed and clothed. They're in school. Good job. All that stuff's cool. We teach them right and wrong. Good. We, we, we do this. Do, do you love each other, though? Ooh. We find ourselves, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't love, at least not like I used to. That's the correction and the accusation that Jesus brings against him. Because when you leave something, it denotes two things. Number one, that you actually made willing, mistaken steps away. Listen, here's the other offense. Unlike if you lose something. If you lose something, you can panic and just, even if you can't find it, at least you're trying but if you've left something, you actually do know where it is. You left it. You know exactly where it is. Whatever that relationship is, and we're talking vertical here, but it does translate horizontal. You know, you know where it is. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus comes, he's like, guys, I see this, but you, you're not there where you were. And you walked away. You did it. You took a step. Hardened your heart. You took a step. Hardened your heart. You took a step. Got distracted. You took a step. Did less. You just took a step. You didn't, get, you didn't lose nothing. You left your first love. And yet you were able to keep everything intact. Everything's afloat. Nothing's, you're not bankrupt. You're not divorced yet. You haven't, you haven't stopped ministry yet. You're not disqualified yet. And so Jesus comes and says, love you. Love you a ton. I see what you're doing. You're doing a really good job. You're in Ephesus? That must be really difficult. Proud of you. But as proud of you as I am, I have this against you. You left your first love. And he tells him in verse 5, Remember, therefore from where you've fallen, repent, and do the first works. He gives them three things to do if you're note-taking. Remember, just pause. If you're a Christian, I asked you that earlier. Are you a Christian? How'd you become a Christian? What was that like? Do you remember what it was like to become a Christian? Were you excited? Were you fired up? Did you do anything extravagant for, for Jesus then? Did you read books? Did you go to retreats? Did you go to conferences? Did you get up early and seek the Lord? Did you go on walks? Did you like Christian music, as corny as it can be? Did, did you fellowship with others? Did you have prayer? Did you do any of that stuff? Remember, like, if you're like me, you're like, oh, dude, I got so many memories, so many memories of just seeking the Lord belligerently. I'm talking like just belligerent. Like, did you really set your alarm for four in the morning to go hike that mountain before the sun rises at 520? Yeah. Why? Because it's epic. And because I don't have kids yet. But... <sighs> You know what I'm saying? I remember. I remember what it's like. What about when you were married? What about when you first had kids? Remember when you first had kids, you're crying. <laughs> you know? 
Now you've had kids for too long. You're crying. <laughs> different tears. Different tears. His first word. Just remember. Remember what it was like. Remember. But don't just stay there. He says, then remember and repent. When the prodigal son walked away from his dad, he got the inheritance and went and did foolish things. And eventually he got to a place where his life was wrecked. He's still a son. Still got a dad. Nothing's changed. Just like your Christianity. If you're, if you're a Christian, oh, you're good. You're saved. You're on the team. You're good. Jesus has sealed you with his spirit. But like the prodigal son, he sat there with pig food coming out of his mouth. He's like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, no, I'm not going to tell you tried. He's telling all his friends, it's okay. And one day he's like, Dude, this pig food is like lame. And the Bible says he remembers his dad, his dad's house. And he begins to remember. He's like, what am I doing? And he begins to repent. What if he just remembered and then went back and never stopped, never, you know, didn't change? That's why I asked you, do you want to change? Are you willing to put in any work at all? Do you, do you want to get slimmer and eat everything you've been eating and not work at all? Is that, is that what you want? Have you believed that lie? Do you want to, you know, have financial success and not, not work harder or save more? Do you, want, do you want to be closer to Jesus and yet not give up anything that you've linked to? This is like a big boy teaching right here. It's like a big girl teaching. The first service is still mad at me. I'm mad at them. I'm just kidding. Remember and repent. Repent means to think differently, which will then lead to doing differently. Okay, it's not just a, a, a mental a, a ascension. It's an it's a acceptance and an assimilation. I think differently. Therefore, I do differently. The prodigal son rose up. He's like, this is crazy. He didn't expect mercy, by the way. Barely. He expected like a day job. And he went back to his dad, and his dad blessed him. Look, I believe somebody here today has left your first love. You remember. And I remember when I used to pray and read the Bible. I remember. Now we just let Luke pray and let Luke read the Bible. I remember when I used to read books. I just, ah, man, I just got so exhausted from reading books. And I just, you know, I, just I haven't done anything. And I, I used to, you know, fast from, I used to fast from food. Remember that? I remember I used to fast from food. Like, I'm going to skip a meal. I'm going to do this. And the Lord would say, repent. Repent. Think differently, which leads to our third correction that Jesus brings. And he says, do, verse 5, right in the middle, the first works. Set a plan. Set an action step. Like I said, when I hired Dave Kraft as my pastoral coach, he immediately began to set in play things that I had to do, articles to read and things to help navigate my week work and all of that. It became to me action steps, which made it difficult because I wanted to have success by doing nothing different. Anybody else have that? You I want to be successful. I want to be, I want to, I want to be powerful, but I don't want to do anything different. <clears throat> do the first works. And can I just say something while I've got your attention still? There's something about the first works of becoming a Christian that Satan does not want you to continue doing. There's something about the first works in your marriage or in your parenting that Satan does not want you to continue to do. The first works, the very first elementary, reading your Bible, praying, memorizing scripture, worshiping, serving, the, the basics, 
Because we do that for a season, we see some fruit, and pretty soon we're like, well, there's some people behind me that aren't doing it as well as I'm doing it. I guess that puts me in front of them, and man, pretty soon, and then they start doing it, and pretty soon we just become spectators, and we've done it. And you've got things on the outside maybe working. Maybe you've got a system or two in play. That's what he said. You guys, your systems are good. That's the same in marriages. Man, when you're first in love, you pursue your spouse, and you write little sticky notes, and you hide them on the mirror, so when they open the mirror, there's a sticky note. You're, oh, no way. You know, and you do things, and it's special, and you calendar things, and you do trips, and you make sure. And then eventually, you just get some systems. Bills are paid, and everyone's fed. We're just kind of on the grind, and, and we're, we're doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, what can happen? Is your heart's not there. Although it's crazy, because the outside looks really good. Like I said, you go to a church, man, that's just, you guys are getting parking lots full. You guys got everything, oh, look at this graphics and paint, this is so cool. And yet God sees the heart. The threefold correction that Jesus gives is to remember. Let that be a beautiful time for you. Let it, even, let it even break you in all your relationships that matter most. Do, do, it, this letter, by the way, was addressed to the angel of the church of Ephesus. The word is messenger. It's actually, throughout the New Testament, primarily used as messenger, okay? I would go so far as to say that it was addressed to the pastor, of the church at Ephesus. I don't know if they had one leader, okay? We don't like to have that idea of one leader. We believe that Jesus is the chief shepherd, chief shepherd, senior pastor. He's the senior pastor of the church, and there's a bunch of other guys and gals that run things, okay? But he's in charge. But if you think about it, I do happen to stand about 36 inches higher than all of you today. I've got a microphone, so my voice is quite louder than all of you today. My beard is bigger than all of yours today. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it is or not probably is anyways and so we do understand this idea of authority and leadership and accountability and when this letter comes to the church and when you see yourself as a leader which i do see myself as a leader i'm a pastor i'm a leader okay amongst other leaders amongst other pastors amongst other ministry people amongst other moms and dads you all have a mantle of leadership and so when this letter came to that messenger he gave it to that church. That church shared it with the rest of the churches. Okay, Sardis and Thyatira, they all got a copy of it. And then the first century church died off, and the second century church would read it. And all the churches would read it. Now we're reading it. And this letter doesn't just come to that guy then or to me now, but it comes to everybody and even to you. And when you read it, you're like, this is for me. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. Luke may be leading in his way, but I'm leading in my way. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a leader, I'm a mom or I'm a dad, and there is a biblical mandate for men and women to be the leaders God's called you to be, and he tells us, if you're a Christian, first question I asked you, your sins are forgiven. Your mistakes, rebellions, they're paid for. You won't face them in Jesus' name. But the Bible says, as a man or a woman, a husband or a wife, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a deacon, a pastor, everything you've ever done will be scanned with the fire eyes of Jesus. And that which is good, and that which is noble, and that which is true, will remain. He says, that's forever. That's a forever jewel in your crown. That's forever rewards. And everything else that you did that was wacky and weird and wrong and heartless and loveless, uh-oh, kindling wood, burned up. And so there's a mandate 
for me and for you as messengers, as leaders. Matter of fact, the Bible says uh, to uh, teachers of the, the word, do not desire to be a teacher, James chapter 3. For if you do, you will bring upon yourself a stricter judgment. Now, James isn't saying don't desire to be a teacher of the word, even though that's exactly what he said. What he's saying is, is you better figure it out. You can stand up there and read this Bible like you're in charge. You better do it with on your knees. Your heart better be busted up. Oh, you're going to take that woman as your wife? You're going to be her covering? Really? Really? Okay. Oh, you're going to have kids? You're going to raise these kiddos? You're going to have a husband and love them? And you're going to support them? You're going to do the... All right. Cool. In this book, not just the letter to the church at Revelation or Ephesus, but it's to each and every one of us. And I'm just, I'm, I'm perplexed right now, just to be honest. The way I'm teaching this today, I'm just, I'm, I'm processing all this. Because I totally want a legit staff, okay, I want, we have a legit staff, by the way, and I want a legit church, and we totally have a legit church, and I want legit ministries in our town, and we totally have legit ministries in our town, okay, and I want to have a legit impact, and we're totally having a legit impact, it's happening, all this is happening, in Ephesus even more so, this church would put us to shame, the things that they were undergoing and withstanding, the persecution, <clears throat> excuse me, Domitian was in charge at this time, and he raised taxes in such a way where he was able to put it in the pockets of the soldiers in order that they would then put out his rulership and persecution upon the Jews and the Christians. So can you imagine this? You're a Jew and a Christian living in Ephesus, so you're paying taxes, because the Bible says pay taxes, so you pay your taxes, it goes to the soldiers, and they then persecute you with your money. Like, if you're going to get persecuted, it should at least be free. You know what I'm saying? Like, this should be a freebie. I shouldn't have to pay for this. <laughs> and these guys are doing this. And Jesus says, you know what I want to say about your church? You guys are doing a great job. You, you don't fall for heretics. You, you, you see the things that are wrong, and you, you call them wrong. Good job. You're, you're laboring. You're patient. You're enduring. You're persevering. And all of a sudden, like a, like a, like a wife to a husband that says, I don't feel loved. What? What are you talking about? You don't feel loved? I just, how could I make you feel loved? Well, the bills are paid. The kids are fed. I'm not going crazy. I'm not going crazy. You're not crazy. Are you crazy? I'm, I'm not. What's going on here? And that love is just gone. Or husband to the wife. I don't feel loved. I don't feel respected. Or to a God, uh-oh, who shows up to his church. And we're busy. We're doing stuff. Because it's not hard to do good stuff. It's not hard to come up with a vision statement for your church, doctrinal outline, theology, fundamentals of Christianity. <laughs> Pretty easy. Imagine if we were just banging hard like we are, just doing stuff, dude. Hoping the park's coming up. We're fired up. We're doing things. And Jesus walks in. We're like, hey, bro, what up, man? What? It's Jesus Christ. What, could, would we miss him? If he just was in the candlesticks, the lampstands, that's why on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we just let the Lord search our hearts at Calvary Chapel Corvallis. And I believe God, in a timely fashion, has us here in Revelation. There are six more churches. Most people, when quoting the churches of Revelation, quote the Laodicean church, the last church. It's the lukewarm church. It just makes the most sense. But I think this church, is, it's, it's harder to quote yourself as this one. It's easy to say you're lukewarm, like we could all just kind of say that. But to say you're actually the loveless church, it kind of hurts more, in my opinion. It's like, what the heck, dude? What the heck? And it's in, it's in tandem. 
with living a, a good life, doing good things. And so the, the, the lines we're splitting here are so fine, like a, like a proud dad to his young son. And this dad knows there's more. There's more. You're successful. You're good. And so I'm, I'm praying that the, the Lord would not let us off the hook. Boop. Boop. And if you're a Christian here, his thoughts for you are good, not evil. Future and hope. He's working things out. He's got it all figured out. Look at verse 5. Nope. Look at verse, yeah, 5. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Stop right there, eyes up here. I kind of need this talk every once in a while. I need the Lord to kind of like, just kind of bristle a little bit, you know? Puff his chest up. He's like, I'm not messing around. You guys are doing great. I love you. This church has great legacy. You have books written to you, pastors that everyone knows about. Pastor Timothy, Luke's been here. Everyone's here. The Spirit's here. But if you guys don't repent, I'll take my flame. My presence won't be there. Now, stop right there, eyes up here. Have you been to a church that still has its nonprofit status, still has its board, still has its service times, still has its ministries, still has people, still has a parking lot, and yet there's no flame. There's, there's, that's, what he's, that's what he's saying. He's like, guys, here's how it works. I'm just not gonna be there anymore. You don't want me? You wanna just do your, your humanitarian thing? And this scares me in my own personal walk. You think you're walking with the Lord like Samson when he woke up with his hair shaved, thought he was still boss? No, he wasn't boss anymore. And Jesus says that's how it works. There are churches by the myriads Thumbs up all around. The world even likes them. So, you know, they get letters from the Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for all you do in our community. We appreciate you. No Jesus. I'll take my, my lampstand from you. I don't want that for me as Luke Frechette. I don't want that for me as the husband of my wife, Crystal. I don't want that for me as the father of Noah, Nemo, and Acacia. I don't want that for me in my role as a friend to all the people that I love. I don't want him to take the flame out of my life for this church. And so he tells me, repent, okay? Repent and do the first works. By the way, the Lord's been stirring this in me for about the last year anyways, being in the ministry for around 20 or so years. And the Lord's like, hey, what do you, good job. Great job, you're doing great. But I miss you. I miss our sweet mornings. I miss our intimacy. I miss those things. This is common okay it's common for you it's common for me and the lord has us right now in order that we would be fired up i don't want the flame to go away when the children of israel were being led into the promised land their hearts were hard and so god made a deal with moses he said here's the deal i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sneak you guys in right now you guys are going in here's your organizational not non-profit status I'm gonna get you guys in. But you obviously don't like me and I'm beginning to not like you. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. And he said, so I'm just gonna let you in, but I'm not going with you guys. I'm not doing it. And Moses said, he's like, well, no, 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 no. 
We don't want the promised land. We don't want the ministry. We don't want anything if you're not there. We'll just stay here in the woods forever if that's where you're at. We don't want success. We don't want a name. We don't want a house. We don't want any of this if you're not there. And Joshua would be allowed to lead the people in. And he would say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose ye this day whom you shall serve. He goes on. I want you to see the rest of this in verse 6. He says, but this you have. He's got more, more attaboys for him. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans. Uh, they'll be mentioned again in, in another church. Some say that Nicholas was one of the seven deacons chosen in the book of Acts, and he went apostate, and he led a regime of believers astray and created a, a laity and a kind of a hierarchy and was legalistic and domineering and wasn't the Lord's mantle. I don't know. wasn't there. I would say this. He says, I hate the Nicolaitans. How many of you guys just go with, you think that's like hate speech? <laughs> yeah, it's a trick question. It's total hate speech. Because he said he hates them. Here's the deal. I need you guys to get this. Okay, this is kind of a sub theme. I'm just going to say it and move on because I think it's valuable. Not every road leads to heaven. Not everybody's opinion is true. Not all people are helpful. Okay, you guys realize that, right? There are sheep there are shepherds, and there are wolves. Shepherds love sheep, and wolves love sheep, but for different reasons. And shepherds hate wolves, and you have to be okay with that. The Bible says, and maybe you've had someone, have you as a Christian stood on your ground of what you believe is true, and you're just trying to be, you're trying to stay in your lane. But I, I don't believe that that's true. I'm here. <laughs> and someone says, that's judgmental. You're harsh. You're bigoted. You're small-minded. You're judging me. Uh, have, have, has that happened to you yet? I hope, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope, hope you stuck your neck out there. Ah, I got hit in the head. Okay. The Bible says, do not judge. You ever had someone tell you that? The Bible says, do not judge. You know. And it's true. We are not the judge. We have not the pay grade. We don't have the insight. We don't know all the details. We cannot judge, okay, for, for condemnation. It is not your job. Don't ever do it. About 17 verses after Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged, about 17 verses later, Jesus says, you shall know a tree by its fruit. In other words, you need to judge a tree by its fruit. If there's oranges coming out, you can tell it's an orange tree. You just do the math. And Jesus says, as discerning Christians, you must judge not for condemnation, ever. That's his job. But you must judge for identification. Right. You got to figure out what's right and wrong. The Bible says it's right here. And you and I went, oh, that, that's, that's actually wrong. I don't hate you. I'm teaching my kids to have a biblical worldview, and so we tell them what the world thinks. It's kind of, kind of comical. You should come to some of our home Bible studies. I just tell them, I tell them what's going on. I'm like, hey, kids, check this out. This is crazy. I tell them what's happening, and I say, but, but we believe this. And then I tell my kids, I warn them. I say, your friends that don't know Jesus and don't know the Bible, they're going to accuse you of judgment and hate, okay? And you need to tell them, no, no, I don't hate anybody, but I do know what's right and wrong. I love everybody. I so said, we love everybody. There's, there's whole people groups and whole, whole, whole thought processes and whole movements that we're, we're just, we know is wrong. We don't hate them, though. 
we don't hate them. This is important. You as Christians realize that there are wolves, there is untruth, there's fallacy, and there's things that are wrong. In the Revelation, nope, in Acts 20, you're going to read it later, Paul stood on the shores of Miletus to the Ephesian elders, these guys, and he says, guys, after my departure, ravenous wolves, the Nicolaitans, will rise up after me and lead many astray. Be on guard. Now, we do this in love, okay? Not just truth, but love and truth combined. Look at verse 7 and see what Jesus says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, just stop right there and look at me. I actually have two ears. One doesn't work as good as the other, but, but they're still pretty good. Actually, they're both pretty bad. My woofers were too big in high school. Anyways. I've got two ears. I can hear what the Lord says. But he gives us that option. If you hear, okay, respond. Remember. Repent. And return to your first love. In the next six churches, he'll say the same exact thing. A little differently. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who ha- he says it need each church. Because I believe the Lord is going to continue to sift us and purify us. And yet, here's the deal: God's not mute. His arms not short. His ways aren't beyond finding out. Problem is, my ears get dull, my neck gets stiff, my heart gets hard. Do you have a heart to hear the Lord? so cool. What's he want to do with your life? He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He wants to pour water all over your garden, bear fruit. That's what he he says. Verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What? Jesus says, oh, you're in Ephesus? pretty gnarly there, isn't it? It's crazy. The, the temple of Diana is right there. The temple of Artemis is right there. If, if you don't know about Ephesus, it was crazy. I got some slides. We don't have time for them. Come back tonight. And Jesus says, if you overcome, I will give to you of the tree of life. What does that mean? The fruit of the tree of life. Fruit of the Spirit. I will give to you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, love. I'll give to you these things. The things that you're looking for, the things that you're dying for, the things you're going to other lovers for. And you will keep coming up empty. Jesus scans the church. I just love Jesus. He could have come into this church and seen their heart condition and just blown them out of the water. Couldn't you have? Just was ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't do that. He's like, no, I just, you, you, you are trying. You're trying. But somehow you left your first love. And maybe this is a message vertically between you and the Lord, for sure. And maybe this is a message horizontally between the people that God's connected you with. We have an obligation to this community at large, okay, as Christians, as lights, as lampposts. We have, we have obligations to our friends. We have obligations to our family, our children, our wives and husbands. We have an obligation to the local church. You guys realize that, right? You're part of the church. 
And you have an obligation to the king. How do we do that? It sounds complicated. It sounds scary. Remember the first things. Remember where you've fallen. Just remember. It's not hard. And repent. I had a good time repenting after the 9 a.m. service. As I was preparing for this service. The two services were drastically different, by the way. But I said, Lord, I, re I repent. I repent of my relationship with you. In light of all the cool things that are happening, there's cool things happening. Jesus sees that. He's not done with this church. He's not done with you. He's not done with your marriage. He's not done with your relationships. He's not done. Yeah, but it's all. He wants to do more. But it starts with the basics. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to take communion. And I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a song. Father, we thank you so much for our turn to be Christians, to be alive, to be the church. What a privilege. What a grand privilege. Lord, I look at the audience, I see friends. I look in the mirror and I see myself. And I know for sure I don't deserve anything. And I look around at my friends, I see there's others who know they don't deserve anything good. And if we're all honest, every single person here, even though I, the ones I don't know, the ones that are, you know you don't deserve anything. If you're a Christian, you figured that out. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Bible says that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinning, he died for us. How much more so now would the Lord pour out all his blessings on you who are saved? <laughs> and if you're here this morning, you'd say, I'm a Christian. That was an easy, easy question. I got that one. And then you asked me if I want to grow, and I, I, knew the, I knew the right answer was yes. So I said yes, but I don't really know what I was talking about. And then you asked me if I'd be willing to do different things to get different results, and I, I don't know what to say. But here's a new question. Is your heart far from the Lord? And when I ask that question, does it, does it break you? Have you replaced intimacy with discipline? Have you replaced a relationship with your responsibilities? you neglected time with your Savior? And, and done other, other good things, but you haven't done the one thing? Is your heart far from the Lord? Uh. 
And if you would like your heart to be closer to the Lord, you'd like the Lord to be closer to your heart, you just, you want that. You're not going to make a huge giant step. There's really no way to do that. But you want that. Would you right now just raise up your hands? I want that. I want it, Lord. I want it. I want to return. I want to remember. I want to repent. I want to. If that's you, I, I, I am not looking. I pray. Every hand is up. I want to. I want to. Lord, my hand is up too. Both my hands are up. I want to. Forgive me, Lord, of all of the foolish things of our own society, Lord, that have crept in. Even the good things that we do in place of doing things with you. Forgive, Lord, we pray. And help us to remember where we've fallen. And to repent, to take it seriously. Not just to agree and say, yep, good message, good idea, good, good thoughts. But to shake our head. In, in, in brokenness and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many times did the prodigal son rehearse that apology to his dad? I'm sorry. How many times did he say, what do I say? I'm sorry. Say that to your Savior even now. Just say, I'm sorry. Repent. Say it right now under your breath just so you and him can hear. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. I don't know what to do. I got busy. I got, I got overwhelmed. I got hit in the head too many times. I got mad. Lord, I got lost. I got, Lord, I got addicted to something over here. I got, I got tricked, Lord. I got... And just apologize to him. Repent. Repent. Apologize. So I'm sorry. You can put your hands down if they're not already down. Lord, I pray that as we come to the table and return to our first love, take the body, take the, the cup, representing the blood, the Lord, you would do in us a, a new work, a fresh work, a deeper work. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace remains, that it is sufficient, that your mercy is flowing, that you're not done with us, that you didn't just come and wipe us out, but instead you come and sit down with us and say, hey, hey, I got a table prepared right in the presence of your enemies, right here. Y'all messed up? Let me anoint you with oil. Let me make you lie down in green pastures. Let me lead you beside still waters. You look tired. You look all messed up. Let me come here. I thank you, Jesus. Forgive us of our sins. And help us, Lord, to make time for you. Convict us deeply this week in the areas where we don't, where we just get right back to business. Show us, Lord. As we come to the table, we honor you. We proclaim your death until you return, examining ourselves. In Jesus' name.